0: Welcome to Tools for Liberty. I'm Pastor Amanda, and this is Pastor Dylan, and today we are filming at Trevecca Nazarene University.
1: Yes, and we are live, so you may hear some sounds of, of life going on around us. So today we're going to be talking about a massive unreached people. We're going to be asking the question, are dogs saved? And then we're going to hear a little bit about our interesting holiday. So let's go ahead and begin with our terminology. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about today is the need for consistent theology. And if somebody asks you what makes for good theology, one of the things that I would say is consistency. And being Nazarenes, being Wesleyans, being someone who enjoys intellectual rigor when coming to, to the table to study theology, it's important that we are always consistent. And what I mean by that is when we have a, a... If someone was able to come and they would hear part of our theology, they would be able to deduce the logic from it and, and take and do something that meaningful about that and apply it in other situations. For instance... In the Old Testament, we see the first calling of the people of God really come where Abraham and Sarah are this couple who don't really have much. And God comes to them and says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to bless other people. The whole earth is going to be blessed. So there's something from that we can say, well, well, God's behavior is to be a blessing. He wants to give life to people. And we can take that and we can consistently apply that across the Old Testament, across the New Testament. And the same thing with things like with Christ's teaching where Christ comes in. And, of course, the Gospel of John opens up with this beautiful passage of Christ being the logos, being the word. But also, whenever we see Christ go and interact with people, we see Christ always brings transformation. He never comes and says, well, I'm going to heal you, but you stay on, stay on your bed. Don't, don't get up, walk, don't go have a life. He always says, go and have a new, transformed life, something better, something new. So if we take that and say, well, we want our theology to be consistent, we can say, if we're to be Christ-like, then we must be people who are? consistent with Christ, which means we are people interested in transformation. We're looking for ways to to bring transformation. We don't just go and give people a hug and say, well, you you stay there where you're at. And now moving on to our next uh, concept.
0: So a concept that we'll be using throughout Today's video and the topic that we have talked about in previous episodes and in other formats, and I know Pastor Dylan has talked about in various formats, is primary expression and mediums. And so just to kind of quickly recap that as we use it throughout this episode, primary expression is the idea, the intent, it's the heart of the matter of the whatever is happening and the medium is the tool it's the means of getting the primary expression across and so like when we look at art or we speak about art the medium is clay or paint or whatever it's what's used then to uh, translate the primary expression or the thought or the intent of uh, the art piece or in the idea of theology uh, the primary expression the logic or the focus or as dylan said blessing and the medium is then how do we convey that blessing to others or how's that blessing conveyed to us from god
1: yeah and it's really important that we understand this one of the illustrations i like to use is, is a painting i'm glad amanda brought up art uh, if you look at something as famous as the screen, you know this is done on a crayon and cardboard but at the same time, you don't look at that and think, oh, that's crayon and cardboard. You think, oh, that's a really interesting picture of someone um, screaming. You know, there's, there's a whole world within that. Or even if you look at something fascinating like the Mona Lisa, you don't look at that and think, oh, I, I wonder what sort of a canvas that's painted on. You look at that and you say, oh, there's there's some truth being conveyed by this about the human form. You look at that, you see the characters in, in art, and it, and it speaks something to the life and the world around us. And that is what is so much... Of, of the utmost importance. Again, Canvas in and of itself, it's important to have good tools to work with. You know, crayon and cardboard can make something like the screen, or else it can make something um, really crude if I were to, to put something together. So let's go ahead and get into our topic today. So one of the main things we're gonna talk about today is this idea of this there being a massive, unreached people in our culture who are actually, and I have really seen this in recent uh, culture in, in America, There are a lot of people who are extraordinarily receptive to the gospel, but there is a deficiency in our ability to reach them because we haven't been given the proper tools. And to expand on this a little bit, there's this sort of, I don't want to so much say it's a prevailing mentality, but it's very popular, especially with a lot of of younger clergy and whatnot and people who who sometimes teach and, and write material, is that if you just hear someone's story, then you've created a relationship with them. And that's really the extent of it, is this idea of we will create relationships based off of listening to people and hearing their story. Um, but sometimes problems crop up with that. I think Amanda was sharing with me earlier a problem they had with that where she was at.
0: Yes. Um, and so, you know, a church is, is usual, most churches are known for being a means of grace. They help, they reach out to their community, they provide resources for those in need. And sometimes people hear this idea and this one of the tools of the church of hearing a story and they know that they can use it for their advantage. So they can come and they say, well here this is my story, this is my life, I've now shared this with you, we have a relationship, therefore you owe me something or you can help me and do those things. And so it really is a manipulation of this medium, of this tool of, of hearing one story to create a relationship. And it's not and it creates a delusion of a relationship because it really wasn't there in the first place. This was always the person's intent was to manipulate and to abuse this idea and really to um, abuse uh, the graciousness of the church or it may not be a church, it may be a person or a family member, things like that, but they know that they can use this to their advantage.
1: Yeah, so we have to realize that some people are actually gonna be manipulative with this and you know there's actually hard, good evidence to substantiate this. I wanna share a little bit with uh, Terry Moffitt's, an article by Terry Moffitt called The Taxonomy of Antisocial Behavior. And I know that's a big word. Many people may not be familiar with that. Antisocial behavior is not people who are shy or who may be introverted, but it's people who do things which are against healthy um, human interaction, against the healthy human form. And Terry Moffitt is a psychologist, really you could almost say a forensic psychologist who's done a lot of work with uh, criminology and studying why people are criminal. And, you know, of course, in pop culture, we have this platitude that sort of kids will be kids. But there actually is a reality that a lot of times people will act out in adolescence. But then there are some people who don't. And when studying this, they realize that before people become adolescents, even in toddlerhood, you can see people who behave in a way that's against the human form. And they do this throughout their whole life. And so a lot of research has gone into this. And most of it's been with men. And it's not because they've only been studying men just because the format of this sort of research, there's more uh, people within prisons and whatnot to do this, but before people hit puberty before they get into adolescence, about five percent of the population does things, and you can give or take some with that five percent. They do things which are against the human form. they're they're pre sort of disposed. And this is rooted in biology. This is not just somebody's had a bad environment, though that will amplify it. There are external risk factors involved in this. But there are people who have a biological disposition which says, I have tools where I may be manipulating people. So whenever the church says we're going to arm ourselves with this idea of creating relationships by story telling and really more or less story listening, we have to realize about 5% of people are going to be manipulated of that. And again, it happens before Um, puberty so you can you can see this is going to be happening with with women as well it's not just men and I'm gonna put a link to this article in there if anybody would like to to read this but why this is so important is because not only do most of these people who do this are they the type people who we might see walking down the street but these are people who have finally honed these skills and they're they use this as they've militarized their antisocial tendencies and their ability to manipulate and they really prey on churches especially churches that have limited resources that, that look like an easy target, they will come come along for that. And they, they can say one thing, but their actions will be something else, and they're not actually interested in receiving transformation. They're not interested in the gospel message, but they're, they're there for something to manipulate. So the church has to realize that. And not to ramble on too much, but when I started off in my pastoral ministry, I had some university students who were, were under me, and they had come from the school of thought where we just need to get someone in and we'll, we'll hear their story, we'll hear their life, and suddenly everything will be wonderful. Um, really, that was the extent of their their philosophy of ministry is we just will hear their story. Well, the thing was that someone came to the, to the church early on and she was very manipulative. She, she was very blatant about not caring about transformation. She um, did a lot of things which are harmful not on herself to others. And she came in to manipulate people and this, this great moment of chaos happened and... And these people, they they ended up being turned away from from the church because they could not reconcile the fact that they had heard this lady's story, but transformation didn't come. The relationship was never real. There was never any moving forwards in the kingdom of God, but instead it was the tearing down of of the kingdom as they seen it. So we have to have more tools than that. Um, But I bring this up not just to beat up on this mentality, but because there are a massive amount of unreached people who as we look at the culture around us I, I really see this uh, people who are receptive to the gospel message receptive to, the, to being Christ-like but they have a different personality than somebody who is just sensationalized or do, they just look for sensation when they come to the, to the church and I may let Amanda pick up there and talk about how what we mean when we talk about things being sensationalized in the church
0: oftentimes, uh, so church services can involve various different Means or, or um, uh, what's the other word other than primary expression? I'm sorry, my brain's gone blank. The mediums and and so we we have especially like we can look at music and we've talked about before is is worship art, and when we we place worship whatever that is whether it's music or preaching or even an altar call as kind of the end all where if I can receive an emotional reaction then that's real church or, or that's you know I can sense the Holy Spirit because I had. Uh, I felt sad or I felt happy or whatever it may be. And for some people I think emotions are very important and that's how they relate to one another and to their world. And for other people it's it's not in, that important. And it's not that they're closed off or and I mean you'll talk about it in a little bit in an article that speaks to this. Um, it's just not how they relate to the world. And so when we only react to the to other people, when the church only reacts to other people Or outreaches in a way that just kind of specific to one group or one group can relate to we've really outcast a whole percentage of the population and when we make things just about what we can um, feel or uh, uh, react to then we've discounted kind of the full scope of the gospel.
1: Right and and listening to someone's story is a medium and I think we should we would both agree on that it's something to and it can sometimes be really useful but as Amanda said, a lot of times, and I know from my time when I was younger, there were times I went to like music services, um, whether it be young people having a praise and worship service or older people doing something like a, a Sing Spiration or, or anywhere in between, because it's, it's not necessarily either of those connected to a specific age group. But when people come to it and they come and they say, Well, wow, God was really with us tonight. And I remember there was a time when I was going to, to university and we went and there was a lot of people. We all went to this praise and worship thing, and it was like the biggest service that they had had, and afterwards, a lot of people came out and said, well, wow, God really spoke to me today, and then there was no transformation in their life, and some of them went and did some some really um, questionable stuff even <laughs> that same day, um, things which I wouldn't necessarily beat up on, but it's just it's inconsistent with like, well, you just said that God was active in your life, but there's no transformation. It's it's really hollow. It reduces the experience with God to a sensation, and... I don't know. I really see that as a problem when people reduce the, the experience of God to a sensation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's an article I want to share because a lot of times in, and back to the idea, if we can just hear their story, then then we have a relationship. So there was some some people, and this was a, a university here recently, I believe they did this in 2012. I'm going to put a link to this article as well as the, the Terry Moffitt article, where they wanted to see why it was that boys didn't. Um, show their emotions like girls did. So they started off with this this idea that, you know, there's this platitude in our culture where the reason why boys don't show their emotions it's because they're embarrassed or they've been taught not to. Um, sort of this idea that, that gender differences are socially constructed and said this was um, the reason why sex differences happened. And so they they did study into this and they, from the, the boys and girls they looked at, they actually found that it wasn't that um, the ones who did not respond were weirded out or embarrassed, but the the kids who didn't actually share their emotions, it was actually because they thought it was a waste of time. And there's been other studies to come out and cor- collaborate that, or corroborate this, and they found that actually, there's a large percentage of the population who they don't necessarily look for the instant sensation of things. And it's not so much that they're completely devoid of emotional, it's not people who are like, um, psychopathic or sociopathic who don't have emotions it's just people who are not invested in the immediate sensation of things and they they process things while they're happening and they're actually quite okay with that and there's a lot of scholarly work to to substantiate that and i think that's something really important as we as the church we come to realize because this is the people i think we have failed to reach is when our tool belt has been we're only going to do this whole momentary sensation which again i think it's a it, it's a tool. It must we must remember this is a medium. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. We can't let this be the primary expression. If we say, well, if you didn't like that praise and worship service, well then something's wrong with you, or if you don't want to come in and, and debrief with us after we went to the to the nursing home, we have to realize as the church that five percent of people are gonna take that as an opportunity to manipulate. And then another huge portion of the population, which personality gets complicated, so it's it's not like there's a flat statistic but a large and significant amount of the population is going to see that as a waste of time. They want something, they're stimulated by other things. And and I don't know, I think Amanda can agree with this. I really think it's important for the people who can give, not necessarily a stimulating sensation, but the people who give a sort of a stimulating idea. The idea that our theology could be consistent, again, because we don't want people to just say, well, I, I like that song, it made me feel really good, so therefore, all is said and good in the kingdom of God, I think theology must be much more than that. And there's a massive unreached population of people who are, again, they're looking for critical thinking. They're looking for a stimulating idea to shape the kingdom of God, not just a momentary sensation.
0: And I think just something, to, as we've talked about before, about love is creating opportunity. We have to create, that's the call of the church, is to create opportunity opportunity. Mm-hmm. But we have to recognize one: just because we've created that opportunity does not necessarily pe- mean people respond. And two: if the only tool, if we only have one tool in our tool belt, to use that analogy further, if all we have is a hammer, then we can only do certain things, and we can only create certain opportunities, we can only build certain structures. However, if we have a myriad of tools in our tool belt, we can create more dynamic and various. Constructions, Just kind of continue that analogy. And so we have to look at what we're using. And, and for some people, sharing their story or giving them the opportunity to share their story will be very powerful and yep. transformative. But for other people, it won't be. And we can't discount those people just because they don't fit our philosophy of ministry or mm. to fit our tool. And so we do need to be careful. And especially as leaders in the church, we have to be critical and to expand our tool belt and to continually expand and to find out sometimes the tools are broken and we need to rework them or um completely throw them away and so we're hoping that in this conversation you're not hearing that we're not bashing on people who are um who like those sensations i think there is a time for it but it does need it has a proper time and place and it can't be all that we're doing and hearing people's story can't be all we're doing we have to move them towards if we do hear the story of like oh this is the destruction in our life i'm like okay well we're done well then what what transformation you know even james talks about it where he says you know someone tells you they're hungry and you say okay good that's nice and then don't give them food you're not being the kingdom you're not being what jesus called to you there has to be transformation it's more than just listening or telling your story. And so we're not downplaying that, but we're just saying let's expand our tool belt as we look at pe- people who react and relate to the world in different ways.
1: Yeah, and I agree. And building off of what Amanda said, I know she was saying that the, those who are leading in the church have to be critical. And, and I think we, we should expand on that because we don't mean criticizing, because right. I know I say that a lot, but we're really saying we have to be people who examine the world around us and say, well, we need... Multiple tools, going back to when we were talking earlier about you know, an artist has different tools, you don't need just to say I've got canvas and now I'm, I'm complete as an artist or I've got clay because sometimes there's sculptures that, that you make, there's a relief, there's busts that people make, there's actual um, things which, which exist more in the, the form of thought, whether it be music or whether it be something like, like poetry or, or even something that has the art of storytelling. There are things which are much bigger than any individual medium. So we can never let the medium be confused with the primary expression. We can't say, well, it's all about having some really good clay. The really good clay is great, but if you can't do anything meaningful with it, you just have clay. Um, so uh, the, the church has to be critical, and we don't mean that in criticizing, but we mean that in thinking clearly and having a, a critical mind. So well, let's move on to to some of our other topics for today. So. Another article that we had, which is really interesting, is, is an article called Coyote Had a Bad Day, and there's a lot of different versions of this article that are all named the same, and I love the name of it. I think Amanda likes yes. the name, too.
0: Well, and so basically what the article is about is this lady is driving down the street. I believe it was in Canada, mm-hmm. and... Um, she's driving she sees a coyote in the middle of the road she can't swerve in time and so she hits it and she just assumes she ran over and so she keeps going until someone flags her down and come to find out the coyote got jammed into I guess the 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 grill of the car I guess it was plastic or something or a piece of car it was just basically riding in the front of her car for about 20 miles and so she calls the wildlife people and they check it out and it ends up being fine just some bumps and bruises and they help it however they can, and then release it back into the wild. But it's just kind of funny. This poor dog gets dragged 20 miles. Yeah, it,
1: it's hilarious. Um, and it's called Coyote Has a Bad Day. If anyone lives in, like, Tennessee, or I assume where this is at in, in um, and but I believe is, I think it's in Canada. Um, I think the coyote actually has a good day. Um, it, it turns out pretty bad for a lot of animals. I know the armadillos get a, a oh, really yes. bad. Um,
0: they have the worst day.
1: Yeah, they have bad days all the time. Um, but this brings us to a really important theological question, um, are dogs saved? And I may, may just open up with that question to Amanda, are dogs saved? And this is where we get to use our, our critical and consistent theology um, question.
0: Yes, uh, we have, you know, the popular movie, what was it in the 90s, I think it was a cartoon, there's two or three of them of all dogs going oh, yeah, to heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so do, so do um, dogs go to heaven or can dogs be saved? and I was telling Pastor Dylan, there was a church sign kind of war that two churches were having where one had said something to the effect of dogs going to heaven. The other one said, no, they don't because they don't have a soul. And so the other church had just put it on their sign. They had changed it to say, well, we believe they have souls. So join our church because we'll let your dog go into heaven, Um, (laughs) which is a great membership campaign, I think, because I would definitely go to the church that would allow my dog into heaven versus the one that doesn't. Um, But yeah, so then we have to then talk about what is a soul and, and what is qualified and I think a very simple answer is God has created a very dynamic and wonderful world. And when we talk of redemption, we speak about the redemption of all of creation. So I, I would say, in a sense, yes.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a, a little different uh, aspect on this. You know, first off, I'm big enough to say I am not omnipresent. I'm not omnipotent. I do not know and I'm not aware of everything. So there's plenty of things where where I, I need further learning and, and instruction on. And this is not something that I've spent a lot of my my theological examination of my life, but it, it is something which is important because a lot of people love their dogs. Um, I don't know. We, we could have a debate on who has the better dog um, <laughs> between uh, their household, uh, Pastor Amanda and Justin. They have a, a greyhound, and then I have a, a chihuahua named Charlie. Um, which Charlie is the best boy. I will say that. Um, life separated from Charlie would be pretty sad. But anyways, back to, to the idea of a dog. Safe, you know We look at theology as a whole. You know, God is interested in blessing people. And that's really where I would start off that conversation saying, I don't have all the answers to whether or not dogs are saved, but I know that God is interested in giving life and not taking life. And especially when we talk about the the question of salvation, usually that's painted up against the picture of um, condemnation or or death or sort of the absence of of anything healthy. It's sort of, is it good for the dog? Does does, Does God give something good to dogs or do they be given something of of eternal damnation and and i'm going to err on the side of god is interested in blessing and i think he's interested in blessing all of creation yes yeah well um so that that i believe settles that for now if 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 anyone asks you our dog said you can say well god is interested in blessing them and and we will leave that there and and as amanda said god is interested in redeeming all of creation um so the last thing I want us to, to, to talk about today, uh, also something fun, is you know we've been examining some different history things going on in the church. I know we've talked about some, some things which are kind of silly in the past, but also some things which are serious. So there was a, a holiday that happened recently. Amanda?
0: Yes. Uh, so this past Wednesday was the Day of the Holy Cross. Um, it is a feast that is celebrated in the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and some higher church traditions like the Anglican. Uh, the Church of the Nazarene doesn't necessarily celebrate it. I think our only holy days would be Easter and Christmas, and I don't know maybe Thanksgiving. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, Pentecost. Pentecost. We we celebrate Pentecost. Um, but so the day of the Holy Cross is, is a celebration not only of Christ's redemption, but really focuses on the actual physical cross, the means of, of Christ's death. And it celebrates a couple historical events, one of which is under Constantine, I believe it was his mother or his mother-in-law, wanted to find the cross. And so she helped hire a bishop and some excavators, and they searched out Calvary or Golgotha, and they looked for the cross. And they felt that they had found it, it was authenticated by the church, and so they split it up into a couple of pieces and spread it throughout the Roman Empire. And it was greatly revered as, as a relic. Later on in the history, I think a couple hundred years later, um, a uh, opposing army came through Jerusalem and stole the relic. And then it was later brought back to the Roman Empire. And so the the, the day of the Holy Cross uh, celebrates those two historical events. Um, and it really got me thinking then on the cross. And this means this medium uh, of Christ's death and then what it what does it, it really mean? Um, and so things like, why did Christ have to die? Why the cross in the first place? And I think it's really something interesting to investigate and to look into. We often take it for advantage, but that we have a whole day to focus and to look at, not just Christ's death that redeems us and saves us, but this means of torture um, that happened and how we almost, we, well, we do, we celebrate it.
1: Yeah. And again, the, the cross really was a, a means of torture, and a lot of times it was the suffocation that would would kill people, uh, instead of necessarily the the act of just hanging there. The hanging there would lead to other things, and it, and it was something which was quite torturous. So there's there's a whole discussion to be had about that. And Amanda was saying this triggered her mind to to think about the cross. It, it triggers me in a bit to think about relics and how the churches use different things as relics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we have many relics within the Church of the Nazarene. Um,
0: well, there's a couple of altars and old pews I think would be considered yeah. relics
1: well the, the relics they were they were always they were in and of themselves they were something to be desired but they were really mediums too because I don't know about the cross in that situation but I know with, with a lot of the the relics that people had there was some usually attribute with it like mm-hmm. it would heal people um, you know if you didn't treat it right it would curse you um, there was there was always some associated uh, action with somebody's you know the relic that they were around and and people would, would really get fighting over this. I think it's interesting that another army was the one who came to to, to crack down on, on that and take it. Well, um, let's go ahead and, and wrap things up today. So just to, to put everything that we've discussed today in a nice package, we talked a lot about consistent theology and the difference between primary expressions and mediums. And it really is important to understand and that when we have consistent theology, that means that we when we confess, that confession is not just a simple declaration where, for instance, there's a couple of us sitting in this room right now. um, One of us has a red bag. I could be like, you know, he has a red bag. You know, that's a a declaration. You could say it's a confession, but it doesn't really require any behavior. So this is sort of the the final thought that I'd like to to leave you with, is that if if you confess something, then your behavior must be consistent with it. Your your behavior must match that. Um, For instance, let me give you another example. I could confess, you know, I I went and went to the, to the church building this morning, and before that I went and helped somebody move some cars. And you could actually look at time and, and space and say, well, actually your behavior did match that. You did go to the church today. You did go help and move there. There was a behavior that matched it. And it wasn't just that you said something, but you were behaving in a way that matched what you were saying. And I know we've talked a bit about love being something which creates opportunities for new behavior. But confession is this idea that there's a behavior attached to it. And, and if we're to have consistent theology, that means that our, our behaviors, it's important that they match, but also whatever points of theology we have, whatever logic is within the theology, it should match. It shouldn't just be an arbitrary statement and you could say, well, oh, it fits a certain format. But no, the logic of, of the theology we present should, should match across the board, um, whether we're talking about something as, as serious as how do we reach new people? Do we need to, to do things where it's purely focused around momentary sensation and story um, telling? Or do we need to you know discuss, do dogs have souls or not? Or whether you you know have relics and you, you dedicate things to, to having higher purpose. The logic we present must be consistent. And that is so important because it really will help us deal with some of the things like, you never know what people may ask you. Um, you never know when you're gonna get that question, do dogs have souls? And if your theology is consistent, you should have some some tools to help you out with that. Well, I think that pretty much wraps things up. Please like and share our video. Um, Of course, we're on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash kingdomofthelogos. You can find us on YouTube if you do a search for uh, Tools for Liberty or you do a search for Jolton Church of the Nazarene. And you can find us also on Twitter. And if you would like to download our podcast and take it with you, it's on SoundCloud and CastBox currently, though we are looking to expand that out. Uh, but we are, are needing to get some some more followers and, and whatnot. So if you do like the, what you're listening to, please subscribe and please share it with others. And with that, I hope that you have a blessed day.